Welcome to Over in Smith, an HP Lovecraft podcast where me and a f- and a friend read HP Lovecraft stories in somewhat chronological order, and we release an audiobook if it isn't too racist or boring. My name is Jesse, and with me today is someone who requires the cold, like they just needed to be cold for some reason. Faith, it's me. It's because I like sleeping with the covers on. Also, same. if it's same. above 70 degrees, I feel like dying. Yeah, same. I I considered moving to a place close to the Ar- Arctic Circle multiple just, times. It's been <laughs> like 90 as of late. I, I'm dying, dying, Jesse. This is it. This is the end. Well, I mean, it's only going to get warmer because, uh, you know, 10 corporations have a stranglehold on uh, a global economy. And yep. it, they would make less money. Yep. I'll stay alive, though. Gotta do it for Metzli. For our moist queen. She's so moist. Well, uh, today we are going to be talking about, uh, I would say, a pretty fun little story. I like this one. Called Cool Air. So I hear... Oh, man. Sorry. I hear uh, a rattling in the pipes that are bringing through ammonia to machines to artificially cool a room. Yeah, my air conditioner is making some weird noise, and it sounds a lot like a blurb. Oh, wow. Written probably in February 1926, Cool Air is a crisply written supernatural tale that effectively evokes the clangor and modernity of the metropolis. Hey, hey, Faith. Hey, Faith. uh, What? Faith, it was crisply written. Crisp. 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 <laughs> 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 the story appears to be clearly derived from Poe's The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar, but Lovecraft notes in a letter that its chief influence was Arthur Machen's novel of The White Powder, a segment of the episodic novel The Three Imposters, written in 1895. The setting of the tale is a brownstone at 317 North 14th Street, Manhattan, which Lovecraft's friend, George Kirk, briefly used as a bookstore and residence. Weird Tales rejected the story, and it appeared in the poorly paying Tales of Magic and Mystery in March of 1928. I want to talk to the person who keeps on rejecting his good stories for Weird Tales. Like, his good stories... I always get rejected for weird, weird tales, and then the bad ones are just like, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll put you right here. Yeah, goddamn. Come fight me, man. I'll shove you man. in a locker. Oh, we'll pay you well to write, like, a really middling story about things we don't- that I don't like. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of any rough stuff in my head, but, like- <laughs> Come on, like get the good story. This Ugh. is actually a pretty good story. I know, this is a fun story. No wonder he died broke because someone didn't have any fucking taste. Ugh. I described I was talking to my mom the other day about the story. I described it to her and she's like, that sounds rad. 
Even my mom knows. It sounds pretty cool. This is a pretty cool story. <laughs> I'm not going to do another room shot noise. But uh, but yeah, it's a pretty good story. Um, but I do want to bring up one thought before we do get into this. Uh-huh. So I was made aware uh-huh. of something and of a thought someone had, and it's it's been occupying my thoughts. It's been so rolling you know, around in there. Yeah, you know how, like, dogs and cats have, like, very poor object permanence? Like, yes. It, like, if you, if, you have the, if you cover their eyes and move them to a new place, they get really confused. Yes. Dogs Me too. Getting on, <laughs> dogs getting on elevators must be, their mind must be blown, like, every day. Like, they get into a box, and then the world around them is completely changed when they get out of that box. Oh, you're right. That must be fucking wild. I know. I can't. Some, you know. Every, every once in a while, I'm just like, man, I wish I was an animal. I have to say, uh, the, <laughs> there, there have been times when I've gotten on an elevator. I have gone up a ton of floors, gotten off, and then immediately did not know which direction is which. Well, that's that's just because you're you're one of them queer folk. Oh yeah, I also have the ADHDs. Yeah, you uh, you hold up the you hold up your hands to see which one's an L, and you just like, yeah, both of these are L's. That's this one is backwards. <laughs> that's actually the thing I have to do. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, we stayed at the Luxor once for like a night. Uh, we rode on the inclinator, so it's an it's an elevator, but it goes at like an angle. Yeah, not fun. Would not recommend. <laughs> like. Extremely will, confusing. Speaking of uh, of construction, let's let's read cool air. You ask me to explain why I'm so afraid of a draught of cold air, why I shiver more than others upon entering a cold room, and seem nauseated and repelled when a chill of evening creeps through the heat of a mid-autumn day. There are those who say I respond to cold as Others due to a bad odor, and I am the last to deny the impression. What I will do is to relate the most horrible circumstance I've ever encountered, and leave it to you to judge whether or not this forms a suitable explanation of my particularity. It was a mistake to fancy that horror is associated inextricably with darkness, silence, and solitude. I found it in the glare of a mid-afternoon in the clangor of a metropolis, and in the teeming midst of a shabby and commonplace rooming house, with a prosaic landlady and two stalwart men by my side. In the spring of 1923, I secured some dreary and unprofitable magazine work in the city of New York, and unable to pay any substantial rent, began drifting from one cheap boarding establishment to another in search of a room that might combine the qualities of decent cleanliness and durable furnishings and very reasonable price. It soon developed that I only had a choice between different evils, but after a time, I came upon a house in West 14th Street, which disgusted me the least in the others I have sampled. That he was two... just describing being poor. Yeah. There. <laughs> also, two stalwart men. Happy Pride, everybody. <laughs> <sighs> yeah this might not come out by the way in in june probably but, not <laughs> but whatever still yeah. 
sandwiched between two stalwart men. So robust. Well, I mean, I haven't I haven't seen a, a man in Lovecraft story that wasn't described as robust in some way. Oh, yeah, or like really <laughs> attractive. Well, I mean, sometimes he describes people as like, you know, dumb idiots that look like monsters. Exactly. But they're all robust. They're all robust. That is true. Yeah. Also, not, not, not like the sexy monsters, like uh, the fish people at Shadowver and Smith. Like, you know, sometimes it'd be like, oh, they live in a mountain, so they're dumb and awful and basically not humans. <sighs> so, so far, uh, in that second paragraph, he just described, hey, I'm poor, and I have poorly paying magazine work. Maybe <laughs> that's why it was re- rejected. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Maybe that's why. Oh, no. <laughs> be like, oh, you want some poorly paying magazine work, fucker? Um, <laughs> what it? <laughs> You little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. HP, you're just trying to stick it to the man. The place was a four-story mansion of brownstone, dating apparently from the late 40s and fitted with woodwork and marble whose stained and sullied splendor argue a descent from high levels of tasteful opulence. In the rooms, large and lofty and decorated with impossible paper, in ridiculously ornate stucco cornices, there lingered a depressing mustiness and a hint of obscure cookery. But the floors were clean, the linen was tolerable, the linen was tolerably regular, and the hot water was not too often cold or turned off. So that I came to regard it at least a bearable place to hibernate till one might really live again. The landlady, a slatterly almost bearded Spanish woman named Herrero did not annoy me with gossip or criticisms of late-burning electric lights on my third-floor front hall window, and my fellow lodgers were quiet and uncommunicative, as one might desire. Being mostly Spaniard, a little above the coarsest and crudest grade, only the den of streetcars in the thoroughfare below proved a serious annoyance. That sounds like a dream. Yeah, that you sounds... You have quiet neighbors, a landlord lady that doesn't really bother you. Yeah, that sounds great. Like, okay, it's probably... <laughs> Actually, you yeah. know what? Everything's clean. Your linens are replaced regularly. Actually, no, that's not that bad. <laughs> no, this is great. This is, like, about at least twice as better, at least twice as good as where I live right now. I'm not gonna so. lie, the quiet neighbors really make it for me. I would love that. Quiet neighbors are great. Like, I have mostly quiet neighbors, except for the one above me, because, like, on Thursdays through, like, Saturday, they are loud as fuck for no reason. Oh. Uh, and sometimes, if you're an upstairs neighbor, it's hard to, it's hard to quiet that. It's, it's, it's different. It's not, they watch their TV too loud. Oh, never mind. How dare they? And it sounds like they're throwing weights on the floor. Not lifting weights, like, throwing them on the floor repeatedly. Forbidden workout. Yeah. <laughs> Return to monkey. That's, that's what they're doing. <laughs> Throw rock. <laughs> that is only workout you need. What would it... Well, I don't want to ask this question too much, because I feel to Lovecraft anyway, but um, what is the coarsest and crudest grade of a Spaniard? Like, is it like a four... Like, I don't know. Like a... a uh, like, uh, like, yeah, if you're going by sandpaper, is it like... 400? 
Like, does it take <laughs> off? Does it really like hog it off? Like, whenever, like you know, like you're you're you have to go over it with some you know some higher grit stuff afterwards. Yeah, or is it like uh like three thousand where like you can do a good polish? Uh, yeah, I feel like for for Lovecraft, it'd be ones that not only only speak English but are also wit rich and very smart. I had been there for about three weeks when the first odd incident occurred. One evening around eight, I heard a spattering on the floor and became suddenly aware that I had been smelling the pungent odor of ammonia for some time. Looking about, I saw that the ceiling was wet and dripping. The soaking apparently proceeded from the side towards the street, anxious to stop the matter at its source. I hastened to the basement to tell the landlady and was assured by her that the trouble would be quickly set right. Okay, here's a problem I have. Uh-huh. Because I'm about to uh, hate myself for about, uh, I'm going to say about two minutes. Um, I understand not homogenizing everything. Yes. I understand that. Maybe don't write frenetically. Yeah. Maybe don't. It makes it hard to write. You can you can put a little bit of spice on it, and they, like maybe describe it somewhere. But like, yeah, like in picture in the house when he had like an old timey accent that made sense. This is just. This is just. She's speaking English, and she's speaking it modern day English. There is yeah, no need. It's just I'm gonna I'm gonna like really hate myself for a little bit here. I just want you to know <sighs> that. Okay. Oh. Because I hate reading phonetically like i really hate it so much like you can describe there's so many other ways to describe how you someone could just is speaking. Be like she spoke with a thick spanish accent and i would have been yeah like, got it Put yeah it away cool. in my mind because she's speaking english right now yeah she's speaking english words she's not speaking another language right now no like <sighs> these are modern words too like sure a different time era yes do that but this is just annoying. Okay. Also, I feel bad because the second he said smelling the pungent odor of ammonia, I was immediately like, oh, damn, sorry, your neighbor's smoking meth again. <laughs> yep. Every time <sighs> I smelled ammonia in the last, how long have I worked at my job? Four years. It's been because somebody just smoked meth. You know what? I'm going to make a, uh executive decision here. Uh-huh. I'm just gonna read it like it normally would be, and I just said she spoke Go right in, in a it. thick Spanish accent. Yes, because uh, it's too much. It's a whole paragraph. Okay, <gasps> Munos. Yeah, it's Munos. Okay, but I, for, I always forget Munoz. the accent. I always yeah. forget the accented N the for whatever is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Munos. Okay, Doctor Munos. She cried as she rushed upstairs ahead of me in a thick Spanish accent. He has special chemicals. He is too sick for doctor himself. Sicker and sicker all the time, but he will not have no other for help. He is very queer in his sickness. All day he takes funny smelling baths, and he cannot get excited or warm. All his own housework he do. His little room full of bottles and machines, and he does not work as doctor. But he was great once. My father in Barcelona have heard of him and only just now fixed an arm of a plumber that got hurt of sudden he never goes out only on roof and my boy esteban brings him his food and laundry and medicines and chemicals the salamoniac that man uses to keep him cool mrs herrero 
disappears up the stairs to the fourth floor, and I return to my room. The ammonia ceased to drip, and as I cleaned up what was spilt and opened the window for air, I heard the landlady's heavy footsteps above me. Dr. Munoz, I had never heard, save for certain sounds of some gasoline-driven mechanism, since his step was soft and gentle. I wonder for a moment what the strange affliction this man of this man might be, and whether he abstains refusal of outside aid were not the result of a rather baseless eccentricity. There is, I reflected tritely, an infinite deal of pathos in the state of an eminent person who had come down in the world. I might never have known Dr. Munoz had it not been for the heart attack that suddenly seized me one forenoon. As I sat writing in my room, physicians have told me of the dangers of those spells, and I knew that there was no time to be lost. So remembering what the landlady had said about the invalid's help of the injured workman, I dragged myself upstairs and knocked feebly at the door above mine. My knock was answered, in good English, by a curious voice, some distance to the right, asking my name and business. And these things being stated, they came opening the door next to the one I sought. A rush of cool air greeted me, and through the day, and though the day was one of the hottest of late June, I shivered as I crossed the threshold into a large apartment whose rich and tasteful decoration surprised me in the nest of squalor and seediness. A folding couch now filled its diurnal roll of sofa and in the mahogany furniture, sumptuous hangings, old paintings, and mellow bookshelves all bespoke to a gentleman's study rather than a boarding house bedroom. I now saw that the room above mine, the little room of bottles and machines which Miss Herrero had mentioned, was merely the laboratory of the doctor, and his main living quarters lay in the spacious adjoining room whose convenient alcoves and large contiguous bathroom permitted him to hide all the dressers and obtrusive utilitarian devices. Dr. Munoz most certainly was a man of birth, cultivation, and indiscrimination. The figure before me was short but quite exquisitely proportioned, and clad in somewhat formal dress, of perfect cut and fit, a highly bred face, of masterful though not arrogant expression, was adorned by a short gray full beard, and an old-fashioned Pinez shield, the full dark eyes, and surmounted equiline nose, which gave a Morse touch to a physiognomy, otherwise dominantly cultivarian, thick, well-trimmed hair that argued that the punctual call of a barber was parted gracefully above a high forehead. The picture was one of a striking intelligence and superior blood and breathing. Um, uh, someone's down bad. <laughs> like, by the way, Prince Nez, uh, they're those tiny little glasses that sit on the brim of your nose. Oh, the useless glasses. The yeah, ones that we, you can knock off really easily. They kind of look like a monocle. Uh, we looked them up once. I think the last time we read this. Because we were yeah. like, the fuck is a Prince Nez? I think this story was written after an Italian man was like really nice to Lovecraft. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> the same one that yelled at him last time it was like really he gave him some like prosciutto he's like oh okay I guess I have 
this is okay. <laughs> you know what? You're actually kind of handsome when you're not yelling at me for, you know, spitting at you. <sighs> stupid, sexy Italian man. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, I saw Dr. Munoz in that blast of cold air. I felt a repugnance, which nothing in his aspect could justify. Only his lividly inclined complexion and coldness of touch, which could afford it a physical basis for this feeling, even though those things should have been excusable, considering the man's known invalidism. It might be, too, have been the singular cold that alienated me, for such a chillness was abnormal, so on a hot day, and the abnormal always excites aversion, distrust, and fear. And sometimes it gives you a boner. You know. <laughs> sometimes, uh, also in the midst of that, you see a beautiful man and you're like, oh. <laughs> I want to bring Lovecraft into just any apartment with a... With an air conditioner? With an air conditioner. Yeah. Oh my god. Man, it's so hot outside. Wow, it's so cold in here. Oh. <laughs> uh. I'm so scared. <laughs> oh god. Uh. <laughs> I hate the cold. It scares me. This is a place of of d nightmares and darkness and refreshing cool air. But repugnance was soon forgotten in admiration, for the strange physician's extreme skill at once became manifest despite the ice coldness and shakiness of his bloodless-looking hands. His, he clearly understood my needs at a glance administered to them with a master's deafness, the while reassuring me and finely modulated, though oddly hollow and tomberless voice, that he was the bitterest of sworn enemies to death, and had sunk his fortune and lost all his friends in a lifetime of bizarre experiment to its bafflement and extirpation. Something of the benevolent fanatic seemed to reside in him. And he rambled on almost garrulously, as he sounded my chest and mixed a suitable draught of drugs fetched from the smaller uh, laboratory room. Evidently, he found the society of a well-born man rare novelty in this dingy environment, and was moved to a unaccustomed speech as memories of better days surged over him. His voice, if queer, was at least soothing and I could not even perceive that he breathed as affluent sentences rolled urbanely out. He sought to distract my mind from my own seizure by speaking of his theories and experiments. I remember his tactful consoling me about my weak heart by insisting that will and consciousness are stronger than organic life itself, so that if a bodily frame be originally healthy and carefully preserved, it may, through scientific enhancement of these qualities, retain a kind of nervous animation despite the most serious impairments, defects, or even absence in the battery of specific organs. He might, he half jestingly said, some day teach me how to live, or at least to possess some kind of conscious existence without any heart at all. For his part, he was afflicted with the complications of maladies requiring a very exact regimen, which included constant cold, and any marked rise in temperature, if prolonged, affected him, affect him fatally, 
the frigidity of his environment, some 55 or 56 degrees Fahrenheit, was maintained by an absorption system of ammonia cooling the gasoline engines of, of whose pumps I often heard in my own room below. Relieved of my seizure in a marvelously short while, I left the shivery place a discipline and devotee of the gifted recluse. After that, I paid him frequent overcoated calls, while listened while he told of secret researches and almost ghastly results, and trembling a bit when I examined the unconventional and astonishingly ancient volumes on his shelves. I was eventually, may I add, almost cured of any disease for all time by his skillful ministrations, and it seems that he did not scorn the incantations of other medievalists since he believed these cryptid formulae to contain rare physiological stimuli which might conceivably have singular effects on substance of a nervous system from which organic pulsations have fled. I was touched by his account of the aged Dr. Torres of Valencia, who had shared his earlier experiments with him through the great illness eighteen years before, whence hence his present disorder proceeded. No sooner than the venerable practitioner, save his colleagues, than himself consumed to the grim enemy he had fought. Perhaps the strain had been too great, for Dr. Munez made it whisperingly clear, though not in detail, that the methods of healing had been most extraordinary, involving scenes and processes not welcomed by elderly and conservative Galens. He, so he <coughs> cured him Almost cured him of his disease, which was loneliness. I want to yeah. know what love is. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to show me. <laughs> See, one thing that I also want to say, even though we, I did uh, say, uh, I did snap a little bit at a couple points. This is also a really easy story to read, and it flows really well. Yeah, there's just, like, a couple, like, really superfluous, like, words that he throws in here and there. Probably just to, like, you know, back when he wrote in that really dumb, like, Middle English that he used to write in. That was, like, overly flouncy. Yeah, luckily he's kind of... Probably still wants to retain that a little bit. He's still, like, I mean, he's... he's I mean, there's there's a reason this is the one before Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, oh. <clears throat> so. Um, also, uh, I want Dr. Munoz and Herbert West to get into a little nerdy fist fight. I want I mean, it to happen. All, I mean, all they would need to do would be like, shut up, like one thing, and then bam. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> My hands are rated E for everyone. <laughs> they're the raider and they they'll punch the button on, on this uh, generator that turns it off. Fucking do it. Just watch me. As the weeks passed, I observed with great regret that my new friend was indeed slowly but unmistakably losing ground physically. As Miss as Mrs. Herrero suggested, the livid aspect of his countenance was intensified. His voice became more hollow and indistinct. His muscular motions were less perfectly coordinated, and his mind and will displayed less resilience and initiative. Of this sad change, he seemed by no means unaware, and little by little his expression and conversation both took on a gruesome irony 
which restored in me something of the subtle repulsion I originally felt. Every he rose devel- has its store. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of a sad love song. <laughs> he developed strange caprices, acquiring a fondness of exotic spices and Egyptian incense, till his room smelt like the vault of a sepulchre pharaoh in the Valley of Kings. At the same time, his demands for cold air increased, and with my aid, he amplified the ammonia piping in his room and modified the pumps and feed of his refrigerating machine till he could keep the temperatures as low as 34 degrees Fahrenheit or 40 degrees Fahrenheit, and finally even 28 degrees Fahrenheit. The bathroom of the laboratory, of course, being less chilled in order that the water might not freeze and the chemical process might not be impeded. The tenement adjoining him complained of the icy air from the connecting door, so I helped him fit heavy hangings to obviate the difficulty. A kind of growing horror of outre and morbid cast seems to possess him. He talked of death incessantly, but laughed hollowly when such things as burial or funeral arrangements were gently suggested. All in all, he became a disconcerting and even gruesome companion. Yet, in my gratitude for his healing, I could not well abandon him to strangers around him, and was careful to dust his room and attend to his needs each day. Muffled in a heavy ulster, which I brought especially for the purpose, I likewise did much of his shopping and gasp at bafflement of some of the chemicals he ordered from druggists and Laboratory supply houses. Oh, yeah. Increase- you could just buy, like, whatever chemicals back then. I mean, you can buy a lot of chemicals now if you know but, the right person. Oh, yeah, no. I bought, like, a lot of, um, what am I thinking of? Uh, acetate. Hey, you can, like, you can just, like, go places and get a lot of, like, sulfuric acid if you wanted to. Oh, yeah. Like, like but- you don't even need, like, a license. For- you just go and get it. There's- you need gallons and gallons of the stuff. There's a TikTok uh, account for a, um, it's like a rural museum, uh, and they talk about, like, yeah, back in the 1800s, you could just buy arsenic. Like, you could just go get it. They sold it all the time at any chemist you could go to, uh, and yeah, you could definitely poison your husband with it, and <laughs> and if you did it slow enough, no one would know what happened. Well, that's, that's, well, here's the thing with, uh poisons it's not the substance it's the amount yeah um anything can be poisonous in a high enough amount yeah um, like water you could, can, a nutmeg can cause psychosis yeah it's it's the amount so really you know where is it oh black country living museum on tiktok they have a whole series about um how women got away with uh poisoning their husbands with arsenic because if you did if you started out with a little bit enough at a time, it would be similar to like any sickness and nobody would suspect it. They'd be like, oh, yeah, he'd been sick for a while and I guess it just got so bad he just died. Yeah. And I'd be- that's it. <laughs> Imagine if you just made enough robust uh, divorce laws. There'd be <laughs> wow. so many more you know living what I men. I found out uh, that no fault divorce didn't still doesn't exist in England. That has to be think of the thing that they just ignore, right? Like, like the so the way divorce laws exist is that it, they basically have no fault divorce, 
without actually passing a law that is for no fault of divorce. Uh, that has to be something they just ignore. It, it has I, to be. It definitely is. Like, there's so many laws that, that, that people just ignore because they're outdated or they make no sense nowadays. Yeah. And they tend to only be brought up against uh, people of color when someone wants to. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, get someone for a crime. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So. <clears throat> I learned that while watching The Crown. An increasingly an unexplained atmosphere of panic seemed to rise around his apartment. An increasingly an unexplained atmosphere of panic seemed to arise around his apartment. The whole house, as I have said, had a musty odor, but the smell in his room was worse. And in, and in spite of all the spices and incense and the pungent chemicals of the now incessant baths which he insists on taking unaided, I perceived that it must be connected with his ailment, and shuddered when I reflected on what the ailment might be. Mrs. Herrero crossed herself when she looked at him and gave him up unreservedly to me, not even letting her son Esteban continue to run errands for him. When I suggested other physicians, the sufferer would fly into as much rage as he seemed to dare to entertain. He evidently feared the physical effect of violent emotion, yet his will and driving force waxed, whether then waned. Yet his will and driving force waxed rather than waned, and he refused to be confined to his bed. Lassitude of his earlier ill days gave place to a turn of his fiery purpose, so that he seemed about to hurl defiance at the death of the demon, even as that ancient enemy seized him. The presence of eating, always curiously like a formality with him, he virtually abandoned and mental power alone appeared to keep him from total collapse. It's like those old people that refuse to die because they're too <gasps> racist. Oh, uh, yeah! Like Dick Cheney? Yeah. Who keeps getting a on- new heart every fucking, like, five years? Yeah, he literally has no heartbeat. No. He has no heart. None! Also, okay, just want to point out real quick, he <sighs> says, which he insisted on taking unaided. Did you aid him in his baths before? I mean, like, Maybe Mrs. Herrero did. Listen, it's not gay. You're giving your bro uh, a sponge bath and you say no homo. I don't think it. I, I, I think it's not gay if you're giving anyone a sponge bath because that's just you helping it's someone who's really infirmed. unsexy. Not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, you. it's impossible to make a sponge bath set. Sponge bath sexy, uh, because you have to really get into the folds. And the thing about uh, oh, sexiness God. is you don't think about the folds too often. Yeah, also, like giving yourself or anybody else a sponge bath is really unsexy. It's, yeah, it's gross. Actually, it's just actually, a necessity. Bathing, cor- bathing correctly is actually very unsexy. Like, and once you get to the point where you have to give yourself or somebody else a sponge bath, not like a normal bath. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> It's it's there if you're it's probably really gross by then. He acquired a habit of writing long documents of some sort, which he carefully sealed and filled with injections I transmitted after his death to certain persons with whom he named, for the most part lettered East Indians, but included a once celebrated fi- French physician now generally thought dead, and about whom the most inconceivable things had been whispered. As it happened, I burned all these papers undelivered and unopened. His aspect 
and voice became utterly frightful, and his presence almost unbearable. On September, an unexpected glimpse of him induced a epileptic fit in a man who'd come to repair his electric desk lamp. A fit which he prescribed effectively whilst keeping himself well out of sight. That man, oddly enough, had been through the terrors of the Great War without incurring any fright. So thorough. Then, in the middle of October, the horror of horrors came with stupefying suddenness. One night around eleven, the pump of a refrigerating machine broke down, so within three hours, the process of ammonia cooling became impossible. Dr. Munoz summoned me by thumping on the floor, and I worked desperately to repair the injury while my host cursed in a tone whose lifeless, rattling hollowness surpassed description. My amateur efforts, however, proved to be of no use, and when I brought a mechanic from the neighboring all-night garage, we learned that nothing could be done till morning, when a new piston could be obtained. The moribund hermit's rage and fear swelling to a grotesque proportion seemed likely to shatter what remained of his failing physique, and once a spasm caused him to clap his hands to his eyes and rush to the bathroom, he groped his way out with face tightly bandaged, and I never saw his eyes again. The frigidity of his apartment was now sensibly diminishing, and about 5 a.m. the doctor retired to the bathroom, commanding me to keep him supplied with all the ice I can attain from all-night drugstores and cafeterias. As I would return from my sometime discouraging trips and lay my spoils before the closed bathroom door, I heard him restlessly splashing within, and a thick voice croaked out the order, More! More! At length, a warm day broke, and the shops opened one by one. I asked Esteban to either help with the ice fetching, uh, whilst I obtain the pump piston, or order the piston while I continued with the ice. But instructed by his mother, he absolutely refused. Finally, I hired a seedy-looking loafer whom I encountered on the corner of 8th Avenue to keep the patient supplied with ice from the little shop where I introduced him and applied myself diligently to the task of finding a pump piston and engaging workmen competent to install it. The task seemed interminable, and I raged almost as violently as a hermit did when I saw the hour slipping by in breathless, foodless round of vain telephoning and a heretic quest from place to place, hither and thither, by subway and surface car. About noon, I encountered a suitable supply house far downtown in an approximate, and at approximately 1.30 p.m. I arrived to my boarding place with the necessary paraphernalia and two sturdy and intelligent mechanics. I had done all I could and hope I was in time. Black terror, however, preceded me. The house was in utter turmoil. Above the chattering of odd voices, I heard men praying in deep basso. Fiendish things were in the air, and lodgers told over beads of their rosaries as they caught the odor from beneath the doctor's closed door. The lounge-eyed hire seemed to have fled screaming and mad-eyed not long after a second delivery of ice. Perhaps as a result of excessive curiosity, he could not, of course, had locked the door behind him, but it was now fastened, presumably from inside, where no sound save a nameless sort of slow, thick dripping 
briefly consulting with Miss Herrero, the workman, despite a fear that gnawed at my innermost soul, I advised the breaking down of the door, and the landlady find a way to turn the key from the outside with some some wire device. We had previously opened the doors of all other rooms in the hall and flung the windows from the very top. Now noses protected by handkerchiefs, we trembledly. We invaded the accursed south room, which blazed with the warm sun of early afternoon. A kind of dark, slimy trail led from the open bathroom door to the hall door and hence to the desk, where a terrible little pool had accumulated. Something was scrawled there in pencil, and an awful blind hand on a piece of paper hideously smeared as though the very claws had traced the hurried last words when the trail led to the couch and ended unutterably. What was or what had been, I cannot and dare not say here, but this is what I shiveringly puzzled out on the stickly smeared paper before I drew a match and burnt it to a crisp. What I puzzled out in terror as a landlady and two mechanics rushed frantically from that hellish place to babble their incoherent stories at the nearest police station. The noxious words seemed well nigh incredible in the yellow sunlight, with the clatter of cars and motor trucks ascending clamorously from crowded 14th Street. Yet I confess I believed them then. Whether I believe them now, I honestly do not know. There were things about which it's better not to speculate. And all I can say is that I hate the smell of ammonia and grow faint at the draught of unusually cold air. The end, ran the noisome scrawl, is here, no more ice. The man looked and ran away, warmer every minute. The tissues can't last. I fancy, you know, what I said about the will and nerves and preserved body after organs ceased to work. It was good in theory, but it couldn't keep up indefinitely. There was a gradual deterioration I had not foreseen. Dr. Torres knew, but the shock killed him. He couldn't stand for what he had to do, and he had me get in a strange dark place when he minded my litter and nursed me back. The organs never would work again. It had to be done my way. Artificial preservation. For you, see, I died that time 18 years ago. Now you're just somebody that I used to know. Somebody! <laughs> I, every time we get to the end of the story, it is. It's so gross. I cannot imagine the smell. It's. Thank God that he had all those incense and stuff already burning, but probably could not cover it up. Oh, God. You know what Ugh. I would have done if I was him? What? Move, yeah, just move closer to the Arctic Circle. Sounds fun. Yeah, like just move all to a place where it's just colder all the time. Like move to like the Yukon. I mean the Yukon. Yukon. Yeah, I said that right. Like move to like northern just, Russia. He <laughs> like, loves New York cheesecake too much. And uh, let it go. <laughs> but but yeah, um, that's uh, yeah, yeah that's cold air. It's. Wrote, I think it's a pretty good a story. Lovely letter in corpse yeah. juice for his friend. Well, um, let's. Well, let's do uh, a. <laughs> let's do HP Let's do it. A listomania. The glass petite grow. I kind of want to put it like around the reanimator. Yeah. 
Is it better than Salafaris, though? Um, Salafaris. I know it's better than. Yeah, it's better than think the nameless it's city. It's better than Salafaris, though. Yeah, yeah, let's put it above the nameless city. All right, so um, top twenty, we got nameless city, cool air, Salafaris, Herbert West Reanimator, the other gods, the outsider, the hound, the quest of Ironon, Hypnos. The picture in the house, and then the festival is at number ten. That's pretty yeah. good. It's pretty good top twenty. Yeah. Uh, and then Dagon, Neolith. Well, as I said 10. before, we are going to be doing Call of Cthulhu yes. next. Yes. Um. Which didn't we miss anything? Okay. Yeah. So I'm we're ready. gonna. Yeah, we're gonna be uh, rounding up to the uh, some of the better stories. Um. So. Oh yeah. So Call of Cthulhu. That. Oh, uh, Pikmin's Ooh, model, which, which I think also, is actually which will really also rad. Be really good. And then I think or, it's the case or Dream of Quest of the Unknown Kadoth. No. So Ooh. yeah, we're we're up yeah. for a lot of real good ones. Uh, I have a feeling the top ten yeah. is going to be a uh, upheaved, changed oh, around definitely. a lot. <laughs> yeah. I know, like uh, both of our favorite yeah. stories are coming. Yeah, up. I will. Yeah, Whispers in the Darkness is like one of my yeah. favorite stories. I really like Shadow of Rainsmith. <laughs> Yeah, I like Shadow of Innsmouth a lot, too. But Whispers in the Darkness, I just love it so much. It's so good. It has everything <laughs> I want. Uh, weird brains on a jar. Uh, crabs <laughs> with wings. Say, some, weird some black stones. Crabs. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, there's a lot going on with it. No, there's just an archaeologist that, like, randomly just, like... Well, no. Is it an archaeologist? Mm, it's one of those... Lovecraft professions, you know, where people are just like that, and they just manage to go everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, can you think of anything else before we uh, nope. before we're done? Aww. Yeah, pretty good. Besides, nope, like nothing at all. Two this paragraphs. Story, it's, uh, like it. not racist yeah. either. Yeah, right. surprisingly. Okay. Well, uh, okay. Uh, what do you have to plug? Uh, you should go check out my. YouTube channel. It's called the McSpooky Sweaters. It's where I read spooky stories and poems and novellas, all sorts of stuff, creepy pastas, all anything, just a lot of stuff that anything that tickles my fancy. So if you like spooky stories, which I guess you would from listening to this podcast, go check it out. It's just YouTube.com/slash McSpooky Sweaters. Yeah. Oh, so, uh. Yeah, my name's uh, Jesse. I do have a podcast called uh, Into Riverdale, where me and my friend uh, Daniel watch Riverdale issue or episode by episode, and we discuss it. <laughs> the show's and, a hot uh, mess. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot goes on in that show. Um, so excellent. Yeah, it's excellent. it's very compelling trash, uh, as I will say over and over again. Now, uh, besides that, uh. If you do want to uh, support us, it'd be great if you just, like, you know, told people about it or shared the links that we have on the Twitter, which is over in Smith. So, uh, yes, you, we also have links in the description. Uh, so, uh, but yes, yeah, so this has been over in Smith and you are the irreplaceable gash in the fabric of reality. Your keening static cow is like no other. And if it faded from the abyss, the void that would remain would be unfillable and the mansions of silence will forever fill with our lament. Bye. Bye.
I'm